0: You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne.
1: We are bite into it. Uh, We are Joe, we are Warren, we are coming to you uh, from Brunswick um, for the next hour to talk about uh, technology, the internet, um, worms, um, all kinds of crazy things. Um, We're glad to have your company. Uh, Tonight we're going to be talking about a couple of interesting things. Um, If you did subscribe online during the Radiothon recently, um, you may have done through, or you would have done so, through our website. Um, It is brand new. Um, It's very exciting to be um, living behind a, a wonderful new website we're going to be talking to um, the team behind um, the new site in just a few minutes, um, which is cool. Um, we're also going to have a chat about... Um Jill and I were having a chat just before about how sometimes with um, uh, um, ransomware and malware and some of these attacks that kind of pop up in our news, but we just kind of um, sort of talk about the the damage or the what went on, but we don't really get behind it and sort of take a deeper look at it. And it's actually really interesting to see um, what the knock-on effect can be and um, how they do spread. We're going to be having a look at the NotPetya um, attack Um It's actually did over $10 billion worth of damage and brought um, a lot of organisations around the world um, to a standstill um, recently. So that's a a little bit later in the show. But um, before we do that, um, there is uh, a little bit to talk about. Um, One of the things that um, surprised a lot of people um, today um, was Google um, have been trying to suppress a memo um, around their plans to um, release a, uh, I guess, a monitored search engine um, uh, in China. Uh, Google bosses have been trying to um, get people to toe the line around uh, the memo that was circulated and then eventually leaked um, about the censored search engine. Um, Google is reportedly uh, reported to have been working with a, a Chinese company to deliver um, a version of a, uh, a monitored search Um, which would allow uh, the Chinese partner company to have unilateral access to user data. Uh, We do things such as tracking your phone number, um, obviously your search history, where you've been going and then passing that on. Um, The data would have been stored in Taiwan, um, but then accessible to a lot of organisations within China. I was reading it. Maybe I've kind of got this outdated view of Google. Uh, It said, Google leaders were outraged at dot, dot, dot. And I was like finding out about this thing, like who authorised this? No, they were outraged that people had been talking about it and people had been leaking it and passing this on, um, which is entirely the wrong um, attitude, you know, and I think the um, don't do evil kind of mantra is like really fading very fast um, these days. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I, I kind of tend to assume that, if you are using a service like Google, pretty much everything is being tracked anyway. But um, plans to kind of design this in and to be, um, I guess, so brazen about it um, uh, in in China, I don't know. I'm still kind of forming my thoughts around this. What do you think, Joe? Are you surprised that Google would be involved in something like this?
2: Not anymore. The whole do no harm thing feels like ancient history now.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit sad. Um, it did um, It did pop up, um, stories of this, uh, about a, a week or so ago. Um, but, yeah, um, there's no report here about whether the project's been stopped or shelved. Um, I guess, um, given the scale of it, um, it's probably going to uh, appear in some form. But um, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. That is um, um, probably not surprising, but also very disappointing news. um Something is Spotify. I I, I I do love Spotify. I use it pretty much every day.
2: I do use it every day too. Mm. Um, they've just announced that they're trialling um, a feature that allows independent artists to upload their music directly to the platform. So previously, um, only established record labels could upload music. Um, and independent artists had to go through um some kind of content aggregator where they'd pay a fee to their aggregator, and the the their songs would be uploaded to Spotify mm. through that, so they're trialing this new system of allowing Indies to immediately upload stuff
1: makes a lot of sense, yeah,
2: of- yeah, and it will be free as well.
1: Oh, that's cool,
2: and i mean they're 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 going to implement filtering um processes to make sure. Uh, that it's not infringing any copyrights and mm. it's actually what it says it is.
0: Mm.
1: So that was the reason in the past, just a quality control measure?
2: I'm not sure. I imagine mm. so. I mean, it sounds like the easiest way to, to filter out stuff you don't want in there.
1: Mm. And uh, there's something going on with Pandora as well, I understand.
2: Yeah, so um, Pandora have been bought by a digital radio company, Sirius XM, in the States. So they'd previously invested in Pandora, but they've actually acquired it outright now, mm. three billion, three point five billion dollars.
1: I, I don't know how I feel about this one. I kind of feel like a lot of these streaming services. I feel like in a few years we'll be reporting on it going, wow, that that was money not well spent, and that kind of turned belly up, you know.
2: Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if this will help them compete against. Spotify and Apple Music and 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 other things like that.
1: Mm. Well, it is. Um, I think between them now they have kind of like the biggest um, the biggest reach and the biggest um, subscription base.
2: Apparently, Pandora have seventy million monthly users.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, well, I don't know. We've already declared our colours, so there you go. Yeah,
2: I'm. am I'm a, I'm a fan of Spotify. I can't help it. Mm. And you were you had something to tell us about Instagram.
1: Yeah, um, unsurprisingly, I I think um, Instagram's two co-founders, Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger, uh, are leaving. Um, Apparently, admit frustrations with um, parent company Facebook. Um, Surprise, surprise. Um, I mean, I'm never really too surprised when there's an acquisition like this, and then the founders move on. Eventually, it's not you know you don't really join to to sort of share the vision. Have Um,
2: they detailed their frustrations, or is this rumour?
1: No, they have detailed their frustrations um, or they have they have been detailed, um, whether they've um, explained them directly. But, um, yeah, they were frustrated with um, a few of the recent product changes that were being um, pushed by um, Facebook or Zuckerberg in, in particular, um, including things around comments and how posts are shared between the two networks. Um, I kind of feel like, I mean, I, I still use both both of them, I guess. I kind of feel like um, the separation has been um, fairly strong. I mean, you do get a sense that there's a lot of data being shared. Like you mentioned, you follow something somewhere and then something uh, else pops up straight away.
2: The uh, advertising in Instagram is feels very linked to what happens for me on Facebook.
1: Hmm, hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. That's um. So I mean, that experience is a little bit, um, a little bit um, awkward and clunky. But um, yeah. So um, the guys are apparently moving on. They're going to take some time off, and then they're going to um, quote unquote explore our curiosity and creativity again. Um, <laughs> so building new things requires that we step back, understand what inspires us, and match that with what the world needs. That's what we plan to do. So um, some superheroes will be cruising around in their Tesla, um, <laughs> thinking, thinking about some new things to do. Um, but yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, I guess we shouldn't be surprised that, um, that that is the case, um, onwards and upwards. Um, I did want to... I was going to save this for later, but I might um, talk about it now. Um, blah, blah, car. Um, blah, blah, car is not just a fun word um, and thing to say. Um, it is a um, service that was um, based in Europe. Um, it's actually had... Uh, well, yeah... They're forecast to hit um, 50 million users. Um, It's a ride-sharing service in um, the UK specifically for long-distance rides. So if you say, I want to get to um, uh, Oslo, um, you can hook up with people who are also going to Oslo and then split the costs, which is – Oh, right. I've had friends
2: use this service –
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, so they they raised um, quite a bit of money um, through um, big funding rounds a few years back. Um, and, yeah, they've got um, – actually, here we go. They've got over 65 million registered users, which is pretty good, um, 15 million users in France, and it's currently in 22 countries. Um, so, yeah, it's skewed specifically towards um, people 18 to 35. Um, that's where the sort of bulk of their users are. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's doing really well, Blah Blah Car. Um, it's actually, um, the good thing about it is, and I guess the point of mentioning it is, they're um, into profitability now. So um, it's not just one of those services that eventually, maybe, hopefully, if they sell ads, will make money one day. Um, it is actually a good business idea. Um, yeah, they did have some troubles early on, but then they slimmed right down um, to a smaller team and um, doing really well. So they're shaping up for an IPO. You can um, get stocks in Blah Blah Car, which would be fun. Um, if you uh, have been on the Triple R website recently and you do have a history with the station, um, you'll notice that it is a bit different. Um, we are enjoying a, a wonderful new site. Um, big picture of Jeff Sparrow up there at the moment looking crazy. Um, but uh, the team behind that, um, these things just don't appear by themselves. Um, we are joined in studio now by a uh, team from Ice Lab behind and, uh, Max and Andrew. Uh, guys, thanks for coming in and having a chat with us. Thanks, so. Adam. Um so did this just kind of feel like the the average brief that sort of comes across your desk or were you like this one's gonna be a little bit different to some of the other projects that we work on?
0: Um Yeah. I mean I think it was certainly was gonna be a different one. Um I mean, I think mostly because like Triple R is obviously an institution that that so many people love and care about, and that's not uh, you know we don't we don't get to work on projects that so many people are interested in all the time necessarily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or have a point of view on. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine a lot of meetings where like no, it has to be about this, and no, we we have to make sure that happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. Um, And. Yeah, I mean, like I say, like working with a community organisation is a different kind of vibe to working with like a large corporate kind of entity. Although, um, you know, Lab in general has been, like was kind of started to avoid doing like deeply corporate work um, and to work with kind of arts organisations where we can um, in a way that's kind of sustainable. So, you know, it's an exciting kind of balance
3: for us, yeah.
1: Hmm. And, and what were your respective roles? What, what did you do
3: um, in the project? Uh, so I was one of the developers, um, sort of a back-end mostly, um, but bits yeah. and pieces. Um, yeah, and Max um, did um, a little of the uh, front-end work and I guess, yeah, there's a, sort of on a project like this you sort of pitch in um, where you can but obviously mm-hmm. you've either got um, sort of a very specific skill set that you can bring to the table um, or you've got a very specific, um, yeah, like a technical um, learnings and, and things like that that you can bring mm-hmm. as well and it's sort of amazing like a project like this, like, um, you know, it's definitely not something that could be done by one or two people. You need that team of sort of five or six that can bring you know all the different type of um, mm. type of yeah thoughts and and processes to the table. Mm.
1: And what did what was the stations request to you with the website? What, what was the one thing that you said we have to deliver on this? This is the important thing to do.
0: Oh, well, the player, I suppose. You know, um, certainly that's the that's the kind of key feature of the new site is. Mm. Um, is like an improved player that gives you the ability to kind of queue up stuff and, I guess, explore the kind of full catalog of things that um, mm. like Triple R kind of continues to produce but have produced over the years, um, and like that—that that is really the sort of thing that we focused on. But I, I suppose alongside that, um, like building a platform is really sustainable for Triple R kind of over the long term. You know, obviously mm. the last site is something that existed for. Like ten years, so you know we know that this site is going to be replaced, like you know, in a year or two. Like it's something that needs to last, and ideally something that can, um, I suppose, like evolve as Triple R kind of continues to evolve. And so that was a big part of our focus, just making something that um, is able to do that over time, rather than being stuck. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Was there much of a team here to help you with it, and was there expectation that they wanted to be able to um, build on it and kind of work with it? Were you expected to kind of deliver like a you know open source kind of idea, or did they just want the product and you know?
3: Um, it is. Uh, a lot of it is actually. Um, the libraries that we use were open mm. open source. Uh, in terms of like actually contributing to code and, and things like that, um, not so much probably. Mm. Um, but definitely there's a lot, like the website does not exist in isolation. So one mm. of the most exciting features about it was going to be um, the subscription stuff and being uh-huh. able to sign in with an email address and renew your subscription, um, add another subscription, subscribe all the different types and, yeah. and things like that. So uh, in terms of the tech team at L, like there was a lot of um, back and forth about, you know, so you've got an internal database here and mm. we've got the web database and these two things need to know if, if someone jumps on and renews online, then the internal database needs to know that. Mm. If, some, if you ring up and extend your subscription on the phone, then the website needs to know that you're allowed to, to log in now and all those kind of things. Yeah. So there was a lot of back and forth around, you know, what are the technical issues we need to solve here in order to make that exchange mm. um, seamless for the subscriber. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
1: And... Um, I think one of the um, kind of biggest features that's um, been released in my time here was the um, uh, radio-on-demand stuff as well. So were there sort of any things that you had to sort of um, tiptoe around and sort of be very careful? I mean, there's a lot of, I I guess, custom stuff existing and, and like, even the hardware here is kind of, like, fairly tricky to work with, I would imagine.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was challenging, that bit. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think the, like... Part of the, probably the main challenge there was trying to get that stuff served properly over like uh, HTTPS, so making sure that it was served securely because we're doing a whole bunch of, um, you know, like the on demand player integrates sort of with the rest of the site rather than being like a little pop upy window um, mm. like it was before. Yeah. And, um, you know, because that is there while you navigate around the site. Um, it needs to be like on the same protocol and, you know, we want everything to be secure and, um, mm. you know, particularly while we're taking subscriptions and taking your credit card and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, a lot of the underlying infrastructure that is difficult to change quickly. And so, um, yeah, like spinning stuff up to make that work um, mm. properly was, you know, kind of a last-minute last, last minute challenge that <laughs> was more last-minute than I, I should have left it. <laughs> but you got there. Yeah.
1: Was it, um, I don't know, was it scary with the kind of Radiothon as a deadline kind of looming? Um, I mean, kind of, if, you, if you look at a calendar and go, we've got 12, 12 months when we can launch a website, if someone says, can we do it in the couple of months before the Radiothon, I would have been sweaty palms.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, we didn't aim to launch in the couple of weeks before Radiothon. Yeah. You know, we you know, wanted to get it out a bit earlier than that, but the software is uh, complex. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, we sort of launched. I, I suppose as late as we could, but yeah. Um, yeah. And and yeah, there's definitely some some moderate terror, I'd say, yeah. um, associated <laughs> with like making sure that uh, you know the most kind of important uh, you know four weeks on the Triple R calendar mm. um, goes well rather than goes badly. Mm. Um, yeah,
1: <laughs> Joe, have you have you noticed much of a difference? Were you much of a user of the old site um, versus the new site?
2: Well, yeah, I was actually, and from, from both sides of it, because I was the one who was often updating the, the yeah. bite into it portion of the of the website, yeah. and yeah, it's a lot easier to add tracks, um, add your playlists, and easier to navigate, and yeah.
3: That's good. That's yeah. That's what I'd like to hear.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah, that was sort of one thing we tried to, knowing that this project was going to be around for a long time time was to spend the time so that when you jump into the admin as a presenter or a volunteer it's all very sort of um obvious what you need what you need to do like tracks are called tracks but it's called playlists um you can just click on them and add what you need and edit what you need um so that's you know obviously you need some help but hopefully it's really intuitive um when you want to update content what you need to do
2: i certainly found it intuitive yeah
3: yeah,
0: there's definitely a difference between you know most of our projects. Really, you know, the number of users that Triple R has kind of administering their site is large. Yeah, um, you know, whereas there are most, a lot of us. Yeah, that's right. And and changing all the time, obviously, like you know volunteers coming in and kind of um, getting into it, and then um, whereas you know most of the things we work on, you tend to have a couple of kind of expert. Um, yeah, you know, expert administrators whose, whose job it is to really understand the system. So trying to design something that allowed uh, volunteers particularly to come in and, you know, get started quickly was, was really important, yeah.
2: You would have had to get to understand a lot of what goes on here on a day-to-day level.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, you know, the team at IIII protected us from that a little bit. To <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we were sort of uh, heard about that through people rather than, um, you know, yeah, more than directly from volunteers and things as much. Um, <laughs> but we did get a chance, I guess, to talk to like a lot of the people who work here um, and kind of understand all the, you know, uh, varied needs um, <laughs> and things that they particularly care about on the site, yeah.
1: Um, so I'm interested, uh, um, you mentioned um, Ice Lab, um, does do or are particularly interested in arts organisations. How is working with an arts organisation different to your average kind of website job and how do you have to kind of work your process to be a little bit different or accommodating of a, of an arts or community-based organisation?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the main thing is... is uh is money probably <laughs> mm. um, you know in general arts organizations don 't have as much money as commercial clients, and so balancing that um, you know sort of want to do a great job um, and you know with with being able to you know pay the staff that work at ice lab um, mm. is is tricky, and I suppose um, you know we really like i mean the the reason we like working with arts organizations is because we feel good about it, like we feel good about um you know helping people produce content that we like um to give them the power to to do things that we think are interesting um you know and that's one of the reasons that we were certainly excited about working with triple R hm
1: yeah. mm. and I mean is the process itself different? Do you have like um larger stakeholder groups or kind of like you know uh I mean, kind of in, with websites that I've been involved in building, you do tend to have more people that have more of an opinion about what the experience should be like. Yeah. Um, and because they might not necessarily have the technical background, it's hard for them to articulate that. Um, where For a banking or, a, you know, um, I don't know, a supermarket, for example, they're yeah. very specific about the needs they have and how people transact and what goes on.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think in part, that's probably because the kind of different, the sort of boundaries of it are more amorphous as well. Mm. Um, you know, we, we're not generally talking about you know just transactions and things like that. You're talking mm. about sort of like content and how to bring content together. And mm. um, so there's a lot of discussion around you know what what the shape of those things are you know, is and how do you bring it into a system that works. Like that's the really tricky part is mm. is kind of. Um, you know, in the end, we have to build a system that you know has databases full of you know models that have particular attributes and that sort of thing, and mm. those things need to work together to produce what seems like a non-machine-produced thing or a mm. human-friendly thing, at least. And um, finding ways to do that nicely—usually uh, the tricky bits—and so certainly in arts organisations, like there's a lot of opinions about what the kind of final, the final thing is, and mm. the challenges in translating that into something that's buildable. Yeah.
1: Mm. What were some of the gnarliest tech at Triple R that you came up against that was like, oh my God, how is this thing still standing?
3: (laughs) Just trying to think. Um, A lot of it, we're actually shielded from a lot of that, um, possibly thankfully. Like, um, (laughs) like I think, um, yeah, the team here was really good at. like putting the right abstractions in front of that kind of stuff. So the, there's like an API that we talk to and we say, you know, is mm. this piece of, um, is this episode available yet in on demand? Yes, no. Mm. Um, and so we don't have to care or know anything about like what's actually happening, uh, cranking on behind the scenes to yeah. make that magic happen. Sure. Um, which is the good way to do it because then, you know, when your team does upgrade that or change that, um, mm. if they leave the API the same, then the website doesn't yeah. care. It just says, is this radio on demand piece ready? Yes, no. Yeah. Um, And if it is, then all I need to know is what time it started at and I can make that request of the radio-on-demand server Mm. from there. Yeah, Mm. but we try to do nice things like that, which is... um, So, you know, you've probably noticed as as presenters when you log into the system, um, you know, there's an episode right there, hopefully, (laughs) waiting Mm. for you to to comment on it. It's generated a week ahead so that you don't have to sit there and go, oh, I need to create a new episode before I get the description and the playlist and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was appreciated. Yeah, cool. (laughs)
1: Um, did you have any kind of... Um, any of those strange philosophical conversations about how does the person do this job or what does the presenter want to say about their show and stuff like that? You know, you have those kind of weird... In web development, you can get like very focused on a particular detail and, yeah, those conversations that just go round and round and round. Any of those weird things? Or was the station able to resolve a lot of stuff? Would you just hit
3: them up with questions and, like, hey, how do you guys do this? Or what's your preference on that? Yeah, the main... Main philosophical question I remember. That kicked around and around and around was so on. So on the homepage, there are segments which are just sort of you know ten minute grabs from a from mm-hmm. a show, and then there are also uh, archive items which are things from the past, like a regurgitated concert mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. And then the main question was, are these two things the same? Yes or no? And I think that question came <laughs> up about five or six times throughout the development process. The answer is no; they're not the same. <laughs> a show can be a very similar. They look the same. Yeah. Yeah, they look the same. <laughs> a show can be a segment, can be an archive item, can be
1: a performance, can be a
0: yeah, exactly. This is part of that like defining taxonomy that matters internally but but you know users don't really care about no. you know, they just want to find something good to listen to and but you still need to to kind of understand that they're separate things so mm. that so that they can be treated separately. Yeah.
1: And what's on the kind of feature roadmap? If there's any kind of sponsors out there listening who want to sort of kick in another ten K to triple <laughs> R for the website, what what would you like to include that didn't quite make it this time? Um oh, I think
0: well, we haven't quite finished everything yet, so there's still mm. a little bit to go. Mm. Um, <coughs> Shh, Dave, my voice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, he knows. I think he's forgiven us. <laughs> um, you know, we're getting uh, like podcasts in sort of properly mm. is the is the next kind of cab off the rank, I think. Um, that will be interesting for for Triple R listeners. Um, and you know, I think we haven't had a chance to kind of step back and have a, have a look at kind of holistically like what's been working properly yet um, and you know a big part of a project like this is that you know you, you end up designing it in kind of a vacuum to an extent mm-hmm. um, you know it's not until it actually gets into into real people's hands that you get a sense of like the ideas that you had that worked and don't and um the code that you wrote that works and doesn't. Um and so um you know, I think we want to see kind of how it um like how it functions in practice, um yeah. you know, with people and particularly particularly triple R listeners um who are using the website like the things that they like, the things that they'd like to see, um and kind of go from there. But yeah, I mean, like I was sort of saying at the start, we feel like there's this is kind of great base now like a great base for a bunch of things to be kind of built on and mm. you know that gives really interesting opportunity for, for kind of adjusting things down the track I mean I, know, I certainly know Dave's excited about a whole bunch of potential around stuff that we can do with the player really like giving um, you know people more um, kind of tools to do things with the player um, so you know sharing you know sharing particular sort of parts of shows or like creating their own kind of segments and mm. um collecting playlists and um you know being able to share those playlists and that sort of stuff so um you know moving some of those tools out of the domain of kind of administrators of the site and into like the hands of listeners
1: mm. Interesting. That's great. Well, it's a, it's a, you've done a great job, guys, and uh, um, everyone at the team. Thanks for kind of, you know, working on the smell of an early rag or whatever you got paid. And um, yeah, it's a really great product. I, I think you should be really happy with it. Oh, thanks. Cool. Thanks. Uh, if you um, are interested in um, the rise of cyber attacks and, uh, I guess, cyber warfare, um, we do get bits of news trickling through from time to time about um, how this is uh, a thing. Um, and I was just curious about it um, uh, uh, recently, and I did a bit of a uh, bit of a dig. I came across um, a story that um, I don't even recall from last year. Uh, it was about midway through last year, uh, about um, a piece of malware called um, Not um It's a really interesting story. In um, it. I mean, it's hard to be sympathetic for large organisations, but just the the way almost comically um, this piece of um, malware um, travelled um, through these organisations is um, is quite staggering. It's very easy to imagine it happening at your own um, school or university or you know where you work or, or what have you. Um, the way this is um, explained in, um, in Wired, um, the shipping company, um, AP Moller Mask, um, I may not be saying that right, um, they actually look after about a quarter of shipping um, around the world and they talk about a, a situation where in a particular room a bunch of um, um uh, computers blinked out um, they just went down to a black screen and every time they rebooted just went back to this black screen and then they sort of cut to the um, one of the IT guys who was um, not part of the central IT team for the organisation who were based in the UK but um, he was working in um, Copenhagen um, and his um, computer blinked out and then he just looked down the room and all of the computers blinked out and then they realised what was going on and um, they were trying to trying to shut down um, their computer system because they have around 80,000 employees around the world and it took them a couple of hours to do that. But they lost um, pretty much, um, well, the majority of their computers. Um, it actually uh, went into their... I'll get to this a little bit um, later on, but there's no way to save the computer. They're basically, it's a piece of junk once this piece of malware gets in. Um, there's a figure down here for how much this first company most lost. It was... Scroll, scroll, scroll. Um, they lost. I think it was seven hundred million. Holy um, seven hundred million dollars worth of computer equipment um, during the attack, and also um, loss of trade, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So this happened. This happened last year. I was like, wow. Okay. Um, who else was involved? Um, what actually happened? Um, so from um, putting a lot of this together, they haven't actually been able to speak to um, a lot of the companies. Who were affected haven't gone on the record to talk about this, and they are concerned that you know it may make them susceptible to future attacks and so forth. Um but it does um, reportedly go back to um, a group of um, criminal-linked hackers um, known as Fancy Bear, which is um, a very friendly name um, for uh, a group of people um, doing nasty stuff. Um, so around uh, around early 2017, 2016, they sixteen, they're involved in um, hacking into Ukrainian government um, organisations and companies, and they are finding lots of different ways to to sort of get in um, and, uh, and wreak havoc. Um, so their kind of favorite MO was to, um, bring down power stations and, um, uh, um, logistics and public transport and, and stuff like that. So they'd had, uh, a fair bit of, um, form, what they actually decided to do um, with NotPetya Not was to actually um, bring together two um, nasty bits of software. One was a, a penetration tool known as Eternal Blue, which was created by the U.S. Uh, National Security Agency but leaked um, in um, early 2017. Um, Eternal Blue takes advantage of a vulnerability um, in a particular Windows protocol, which allows hackers free reign to remotely run their own code on any unpatched machine. So, um, just basically proliferates the the virus. Now, actually, um, the people behind Fancy Bear decided to pair that with um, another um, older piece of software called Mimikatz, um, which was created in um, France by a security researcher um, in 2011. Um, And what it actually did was it allowed... uh, um, some, some parts of some Windows computers um, let uh, passwords linger in part of the computer's memory, and Mimikatz could actually pull those passwords out of the RAM and use them to hack into other machines um, accessible with the same credentials. So, for networks with multi user computers and so forth, um, Mimikatz was very good at um, uh, logging onto multiple computers. When you pair that with Eternal Blue, you get um, NotPetchup. Um, so NotPetcher was able to get into c- computers using the um, credentials of MimiCats, and then proliferate using the proliferation code of um, of Eternal Blue. Um, so according to, um, I guess, watches and um, sort of um, cyber security watches, um, NotPetcher by pretty much almost any definition is um, an act of cyber war. Um, it ran for um, weeks, if not months, I think, um, and... It hit us here in Australia. Um, I think it affected um, our chocolate factory in Tasmania, hospitals in Pennsylvania, um, countless um, organisations around the world. It affected, um, as well as um, Maersk, which we talked about, um, FedEx, TNT, French um, Construction Company, um, St. Gabain, food producer, Mondelez, manufacturer... Um, Etc. 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 So there was um, estimated to be over ten billion dollars in damages, which makes it um, almost thirty percent bigger than the other um, similar um, attacks um, in recent years. Um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Well, actually, just comparing to other stuff, compared to WannaCry, um, WannaCry was estimated to cause between four billion and eight billion dollars, and that was um, a huge thing for us in, in earlier um, in twenty seventeen. So interesting. I think um, um, the guys behind Fancy Bear were also involved in hacking the Democrats um, back in 2016. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I think... um the way they describe how it impacted MESS where basically everyone from this 80,000-person organisation went home and the ships just sat there um, on the ocean, um, didn't have navigation, didn't have all these other things. It really, um, really makes you think about how conventional warfare of arms and people and um, um, diplomacy and so forth is – It's an entirely different game Um, when you think about how um, at least some of those things respect borders and people and the human cost. Um, Once you get into this abstract sense of infrastructure and um, um, IT um, um, stuff, it's just, um, I don't know it' It's very hard to control and very hard to, to grapple with, um, which is why it's I guess very disappointing that um in particular the states have lost a lot of their best um, cyber security minds um under trump mm. um, uh, which we talked about um, a few months back but I don't know have you ever been have you ever been a victim of um like um, identity theft or any kind of malware has that affected you in any way
2: uh touching wood furiously right now uh, no. no yeah. Quite, quite lucky,
1: really. Well, I mean, there's probably a good chance in our lives that we will be. Yeah, um, absolutely. Whether it's us personally or whether um, our infrastructure or, or this country. So... I don't know. I think we could. Uh, I think we could be doing more in this space. I think, um, yeah. I think we all need to be talking about it. Um, it should be a, a thing on um, a, a global agenda for how we can stop things like this happening. Especially considering how much resources are being put into into this. Um, I mean, it's not just Russia. It's very easy to say Russian hackers. That's a cliche. But um, all around the world, there are people. Um, <laughs> Actually, I was—I started watching Jason Bourne by mistake on Netflix the other night, and by ha- mistake, by mistake, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just eat. it. Well, I had pizza hands, like I was eating a pizza, and I couldn't make any—I dis- couldn't make any other choices, <laughs> so I was like, I watched this one go, and then I had pizza hands, and I couldn't do anything for five minutes. So, I anyway, mean, I was watching it, and there was like there was a scene where where this hacker was supposedly getting into the CIA or whatever, and um, someone said in the background, um, "Use SQL to corrupt their databases." <laughs> I was like, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Anyway. um, But yeah, hackers, look out for them.
2: Hack the planet.
1: Hack the planet. Um, Yeah, and they did have like that green wash kind of over their (laughs) faces They were hacking, like who's got a green screen. Um, Anyway, I've said my piece about that. Watch out for that thing. Um, Just a few minutes left in the show before we hand over to Mr. Carew for the International Pop Pop underground, but uh, there are a few things to um, have a giggle about um, before then. Um, firstly, um, uh, Texas Sex Robot Brothel Opens. Um, that did catch my eye um, this morning on the train. Um, Free band name. Yeah. Um, or we came up with one this morning relative to cats, Quick to Sniff. You know how like when food falls? Oh. But they don't always eat it, you know. so if Quick like to, to sniff. Quick to sniff, they are. Um, yeah, so um, there is one in Toronto. Um, uh, um, a group that do a sex robot brothel in Toronto are looking to open the first one in um, the United States. Um, Kinky S Dolls, um, a Toronto-based company, uh, is offering um, uh, people 80 minutes alone with um, uh, an excellent piece of latex and machinery um, for $120. Um, and they're planning to open one um, in the States, as I mentioned, and People are in a bit of a flap about it. Um, there are no laws against it. Um, they've consulted lawyers. So there are, there are, strictly speaking, no rules towards it. Um, and they've tried to position it as almost like a try-before-you-buy service for these dolls. I'm not sure if you've kind of really followed this, um, and I kind of it just kind of drops in from time to time, but these things are getting quite complex, Joe. Um,
2: robots stealing our jobs.
1: Robots stealing our jobs. Robot, <laughs> robots having sex with our Johns. Um, I don't know. Maybe not one of the jobs that um, we're going to miss too much. Well, I can't speak for everyone there, but, um, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? The The two point, the two arguments are some people are saying it's going to increase an in interest in um, prostitution and sex trafficking and, and so forth. Other people are saying um, there is a need for it and, um, I don't know, we can be doing other things with our time. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just going to happen, so I think we should just kind of get our heads around it. Yeah. Um, Agree. It's happening It's happening in private anyway, so um, we shouldn't be surprised that someone's making, um, to be honest, not much money um, out of it anyway. I mean, the, the dolls that they're selling are, um, I don't know. I think we're going to actually have a sex show in the future. We've been talking about that for a little while. Sex we death. have. So maybe we'll, um, I don't know, maybe we'll see if we can get one of these in, have a chat to them about it. Um, Finding
2: I'm, more ways to complicate masturbation.
1: Exactly. Um, something that should, uh, should be complicated is um, Scrabble. Um, I um, am excited to note that a whopping 300 new words have been added to um, the official um, Scrabble players dictionary, um, including a few um, that might be um, useful to our audience. Um, we, we do have Bitcoin, we do have um, Emoji and Botnet. Um, I kind of feel like Botnet would clear your, clear your rack pretty well.
2: I had a dream that I played bloviating in Scrabble and I got 99 points.
1: Whoa.
2: My brain does some weird things when I'm asleep. (laughs)
1: Um, Some of the other words are um, uh, you, um, bizjet. um...
2: Have they added jorts yet? I tried to play jorts recently and they wouldn't let me. I also tried to play smize.
1: You should have been trying to play zomboid um, or yaza or um, sheeple.
2: What's a yaza?
1: Uh, a Yaza. I don't know. Is it like Yaza, Yaza? Yaza? Is it like oh, – I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know what Yaza is. Um, but there's also um, TLDR, which is great. Um, That's
2: not a word.
1: <laughs> it is now. It's uh, an
2: acronym.
1: Instagramming, fintech. I'm bio, disgusted. Biohocking, rando and bingeable. Um, so there you go. A bunch of stuff has been added. Um, one thing that uh, also has been added to the internet um, – We can't really help you a great deal with this. It's bad for radio, but um, there is a self-solving Rubik's Cube that's out there right now. It's
2: creepy as hell.
1: Very creepy. Like this invisible ghost is um, having a go. But um, if you just throw that into YouTube, um, self-solving Rubik's Cube, um, I don't know. I feel like I could watch it for a long time. It's one of those things that you could open a bottle of wine and and, um, (laughs) just put the Rubik's Cube on the table interesting um, cheaper than the the, um, the place in Houston um, as well um, I did want to point out um, uh, an event um, that is coming up Um wearables technology is one of those things that um, we do talk about from time to time and it's kind of been a next big thing for about um, five years now but um, there is a, a fair bit of interesting stuff going on it and the WT um, conference um, WT wearable technologies conference uh, is on in Melbourne uh, next week on the third and fourth um, of October um, so you can if you're interested if you um, work in the internet of things or um, if you are um, in textiles or fashion um, learn how wearables digitise the healthcare industry, find out more about the new era of fitness wearables um, and a whole bunch of other stuff around this. Um, so this this group uh, have been running conferences in Europe, North America and Asia with over 30,000 um, leaders um, attending the event so far. Um, and it's pretty reasonably priced as well. Um, just a, a couple of hundred clams to get down and, and check that out. So I don't know, I would recommend that. The guy looks to be having a pretty good time in the, the thing for it. You are listening to the last few seconds of uh, Bite Into It on Triple R on a Wednesday night. We've had heaps of fun um, having a chat to you. Um, thank you very much to our guests, Max and Andrew from iSlap, to talk about the new Triple R site, which we do love very much. Um, we'll be back with you next week, um, but coming up next is Anthony Carew and International Pop Underground. Hope you have a great night. Stay tuned. It's going to be heaps of great tunes.